those things. Well, good morning. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is John. I'm the lead pastor here at this fantastic church. Now, are you clapping for me or for you? I, what just happened right there? <laughs> it's us, so it doesn't matter. We're clapping for ourselves. Um, and uh, so, so I'm going to ask you a question this morning, and your answer to this question is going to determine everything you do. It will determine what you do in life. It will determine the way that you behave with other people. It will determine the way that you um, relate to God. It will determine the way that you relate to the devil. It will determine how you feel about yourself. This question is the question that is the pivoting point for you for your entire life. Who do you think you are? Now, I want you to think about this. Because the truth is, you act out of who you believe yourself to be. If you believe you're a loser, what are you going to act like? If you believe you're worthless, what are you going to act like? If you believe that you are superior to others, what are you going to act like? A jerk? Yeah. If you believe that God is disappointed in you, what are you going to act like? Yeah. Who you believe you are and who you believe whose you are is the way you're going to behave. So everything flows out of your psyche. Now, the reason I'm teaching on this today is because I have been meeting person after person, especially teenagers, and I have four of them, and I've been uh, hearing about others. And just recently, I met with, once again, post-COVID, if we can call it that, um, at least post the hell of COVID. Um, so I met with the high school principals of Powell Unified School District again for the first time. We, we uh, initiated a relationship uh, years ago the churches and the public school system because our children were suffering. Kids were killing themselves. Uh, they had suicide ideation. Um, there was a lot of uh, alcohol and drug abuse. And so we came together. It was just uh, two principals and myself and uh, another uh, faith leader. And we said, can we do something together? And what we, de- what we determined was that the problem isn't the schools or the churches. Uh, you know, where it all begins really is in the home, in that home environment. That's where the teenagers come to school, and they aren't ready to learn because they're just not right in their head because whatever might be taking place in the home. And so we wanted to partner with the parents. And so we, we, we collaborated when we started these seminars called What I Wish My Parents Knew. And we... Um, Ask questions to the teenagers throughout all the youth groups in the area and throughout all the high schools in the area. You know, if you could tell your parents one thing, what would it be? And these answers that were coming out were like blowing our minds about what was going on in the inside of teenagers and young people. And, um, and so we got together again, and we've had over like 5,000 parents go through our seminars, and we've had teenagers join us, and it's really been fruitful. 
But, you know, we got hammered by COVID, and so we haven't met. So we met again just recently. And as we're sitting around a round table at uh, RB High School last week, um, it was bad. All the problems that we came together for eight or nine years ago were the same problems, but they're on steroids now. The depression, the anxiety, isolation has just wreaked havoc on, on kids. So a handful of kids used to have social anxiety. You just feel so uncomfortable in public. Now it's just its own epidemic. There are kids that literally still wear their masks even when they don't have to. Like when they're just by themselves and there's no one around and they're outside because it has become part of them. They feel safer with a mask on. They feel like, you know, kind of like when you're at a party, you know, you, you, you have a coffee or a Coke or something in your hand and you're talking to somebody, you just feel so, so uh, sociologically, psychologically, they say this, that if you're holding something, you just feel like you're safer. Like a, like a guitar, like somebody, a singer, Josh, I was asking him about this. When somebody's used to playing the guitar and singing, like you watch American Idol or whatever, and then they say, well, don't use your guitar. They're like, oh, I don't know if I can do that. I feel so naked, right? There's just something about that. So the mask has become that for so many teenagers. So, but it's not just teenagers. It's adults as well. I mean, it's just, it's spreading throughout society. And so people are not mentally, emotionally, relationally healthy. And many people are experiencing loss of relationships, the, the grief of loss is tremendous. The principals themselves look worse than the pastors that I meet with. And I'm like, wow, these guys have been beat on by parents. I mean, after, after the meeting was over, it was just a round table. Everybody started talking. I leaned over to one of the principals of a local high school and I said, hey, you look angry. <laughs> and he said, I am so frustrated. My wife's asking me, why are you still doing this? Why don't you just quit? And so my pitch to them was, look, we as leaders in this community, police officers, high school principals, pastors, you know, first responders, we have got to stand up and lead. Our society needs strong, courageous, visionary leaders now more than ever. I ended up getting a text from him uh, about a week later, and he said, thank you so much for touching and tapping in, asking me how I was doing. And challenging me. I really needed that. I said, we all need it right now. The last few times I've taught, we've looked at ways to fulfill your divine destiny. Today, I want to show you that by you knowing who you are is critical to you fulfilling your divine destiny. And so let's go to the Bible in the book of Numbers chapter 13. We're going to look at verse 1 and 2. Let me come over here. I forgot my Bible over here. Mark stole my Bible. Book of Numbers. That was one of the best. um, That was one of the best uh, sermonettes I've ever heard on communion, Mark. That was just really anointed. That That was the Holy Spirit, man. Numbers 13. Okay, so in Numbers 13... Uh, God's people had been slaves. Now catch this. This people group, about 3 million of them, had been slaves, 
slaves, like abused slaves, not like slaves that are like part of the family. They get paid, they're taken care of. There's love in the house. I'm talking about Egyptians hated the Jews and they were slaves for 430 years, abused, not taken care of. Um, I won't go into the graphics of it, but that it had so shit. We're talking about generation after generation after generation after generation after generation. This had become their identity. And God delivers them from Egypt and brings them out into the desert. And he has plans for their life. God has plans for your life, your life. He has plans for your life. And yet he's trying to get these slaves to see themselves as his people and as victorious. And he is really having a hard time with it because in their minds, they believe we are slaves. But and yet, even in that, their condition, God called them his mighty army. They'd never fought a battle in their life. And yet he called them his mighty army. You see, God sees things in you that you don't even see. You're his child. He has his spirit in you. He has a spirit upon you. He has a destiny for you. And so you need to start seeing yourself the way he sees you for you to be the victor that you actually are. And so in Numbers 13, chapter one, well, let me get to the right book. I'm in the wrong book. I'm in the Bible, but the wrong book in the Bible. Okay. Numbers 13. Here we go. So here's the day, man. Here's the day. Here's the day. God brings his people up to the edge of what is called the promised land. The promised land is a promise that God gave to his people a thousand years earlier. He gave his promise to Abraham and he said, you know, I'm going to give your, my people, this incredible land flowing with milk and honey. It's a, you know, God's good. As Josh was saying earlier, God is good. And God's going to give them the best land possible. They're right on the edge of it. They're ready to go take it. And then God says this. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men out to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving. Say, I am giving. giving. Okay, not I might give. I can't. I'm trying to give. I am giving to the children of Israel. Who were they? Say it out loud. The children of Israel. That means the children of God. Who are you? Yeah. Yeah. You might want to say that louder. Who are you? Send men to spy out the land of Canaan. (laughs) Do you know when I married Hope? I said to her, God loves me more than anyone else. She couldn't. She couldn't believe I said it, but that's how God makes you feel when you feel God's love, isn't it? When you feel the love of God, you actually feel like he loves you more than anybody else. Anyway, from each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every leader among them. In other words, everybody gets in on it. God's promises are not just for a special few. It's for you. You have got to own that. You've got to decide this Bible is a love letter from my father in heaven to me. Every promise in here is mine. He said, you take 
a, a leader from every tribe. Everybody gets in on the blessings of God. And he didn't say he was going to give it to them. He said he is giving it to them. And so what happens? Numbers 13 and verse 23. Then they came to the valley of Eskel, and there they cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. They carried it between two of them on a pole. They also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. The place was... Okay, wait a minute. What, what did I just read? How many of you have ever gone down to Albertsons or Vaughn's or, or Trader Joe's and you go to the produce sections, you want to get some grapes, you know, for the fam? How many of you have ever had to carry out the grapes, two of you, on a pole because the, because the clusters are so big, you have to carry them out hanging off a pole? God is good. Everybody say, God is good. Yeah, God's not giving you some old grape that has been in the refrigerator at the bottom of the bag, the grapes that are like kind of getting mushy and they're nasty and old. It's like, that's not our God. That's not the blessings God gives to us. Salvation itself should explain that to us. How good is God? Book of Romans says, if God gave us his only son, will he not with him give us all things? Like what's, what's greater than the life of his son? Healing's not greater. Deliverance isn't greater. Prosperity isn't greater. Relational reconciliation isn't greater. Right? Anything else we get from God is subpar to the life of his son that he has already given to us. That's why I have no shame and no no qualms and I don't half step when I ask God for it all. He said it makes him happy to give us the kingdom. We are not slaves. We are sons and daughters of the most high God. I don't look for crumbs on the floor. I pull up a chair next to my dad. He happens to be the God of the universes. I pull up a chair right next to Jesus. I, had, I was praying with somebody recently and they were bombarding the gates of heaven. I said, stop. We're not bombarding the gates of heaven. We're bombarding the gates of hell. The Bible says, come to the throne of grace. Not stand out there like you're some beggar banging on the gates, trying to get an audience with the king, like, oh my gosh, could that ever happen? Who do we think we are? The place was called the Valley of Eskel, verse 24, because of the cluster of the men of Israel cut down there. And they returned from spying in the land after 40 days. They departed and came back to Moses, Aaron, and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran, at Kadesh. They brought back word to them, to all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. They told them and said... We went to the land you went to sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and, it's, and this is its fruit. This is the proof that God is good, that his promises are true. The land he promised to give to us a thousand years ago, we've actually tasted some of it, and it truly is good. How many of you have actually tasted some of, how many of you have actually tasted some answered prayers? Just raise your hand, right? Okay, so you know, you've tasted the Lord and you've seen that he is good, right? I have so many God testimonies in our family. I'm writing a book right now on faith and I can't even fit them all in the book. We have so many of them, so many answered prayers. Please write down your answered prayers. Keep, keep your own journal and just beat the devil in the, over the head with it. 
The Bible says that we are to uh, wage warfare with our testimony. We overcome Satan with our testimonies. Don't forget the, the prayers that God has answered in your life. Because they will give you the faith you need in the present. What happened? Okay. The next word that comes out of their mouth betrays God, betrays God's promises, betrays everybody else around them. It's the worst thing that ever came out of their mouth. What's the next word? Yeah. Well, I have the accurate translation I'm using here. It says nevertheless. So. <laughs> nevertheless, don't say I like, I like having you repeat things with me, but don't repeat this one. Because this nevertheless, they took a sharp left down a dark alley in the middle of night in a bad part of town. There's nothing good down this dark alley of unbelief, fear, doubt. Oh, man. This was the wrong turn. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw, everybody say saw, we saw, what are they using right now? Their natural eyes. They're not looking at God anymore. We saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. Those are giants. The Amalekites, um, well, wait a minute. Uh, and the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amusites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and the Jordan. Along the banks of the Jordan. Yeah, oh, up above the descendants of Anak. Those are giants. What was their problem? They had giant unbelief. The giants weren't their problem. It was their giant unbelief. What are you facing right now? What giant are you facing right now? Is it your self-worth? Your self-esteem? Is it what people think of you? Is it financial hardships? Is it a marriage that looks like there's no way in heck it's going to work? Is it you believe not just feeling over your head and God's calling in your life that you feel like there's, I can't, this is beyond me, this is above me? Is it a, a wayward child? What giant is in front of you right now? Get your eyes off of it. Get your eyes on God. I hate it when I'm praying and, and believing and somebody says, yeah, but what if it doesn't happen? Yeah, but. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I, don't see, uh, I don't see a yeah, but in the Bible. I don't see. They did a yeah, but. Well, I do see a yeah, but. It's right here. But I don't see it ever coming out of God's mouth. In fact, uh, if we can back up, uh, Chris, I jumped that scripture in uh, Corinthians about the promises of God. I want you guys to see this amazing. I want you to say this out loud. Say this out loud. Come on, church. Okay, now you all sounded like you were drunk or you just got out of bed. I'm not sure what that was, but that was not the army of God. Okay, here we go. One more time. One, two, three. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Now that would intimidate hell. The one before would not at all. You do not want to be in this company, but we all are tempted to be in that company with these 10 spies. 
But there were two other spies. That's the company we want to be in. And all of us battle with fear, doubt, and unbelief. You all know I'm fighting a battle right now, and it's the biggest giant we've ever faced. What I've said to the Lord, there are prayer, answered prayers, and I said to the Lord, we have slayed our lion and we have slayed our bear. We're going to slay this Goliath. Uh, I, I'm saying you and me, God, that's, that, that's a majority. Did you know that you and God are a majority? And that's not hyper-preaching. It doesn't matter what you're facing. If you have faith and God is with you, which he is, if you are his son or daughter, then you are a majority. There are no giants that can defeat you if you have faith in God. Jesus said faith actually moves mountains. So here comes someone with faith. Same situation, different attitude. Then Caleb quieted the people. Shut up, basically is what he said. Because he knows, man, this is our moment. We are on the edge of victory. We're not going to have to live in the desert anymore. We're going to land. We're going to live. I saw those dang grapes. And he sees this unbelief coming out of the mouth of these other 10 spies. And he knows the power of unbelief, which we'll see in a moment. So Caleb stands and says, shut up. And he says, let us go up at once and take possession. For we are well able to overcome it. Now, Caleb knew that he was not able to overcome it on his own. But he knew that he was not on his own. He knew that God and God's promises were with him. The word able there means having the power to prevail or succeed. Do you have the power to prevail or succeed over whatever giant or mountain you're facing right now? You better give the right answer right now. After all I've just preached, I mean, what are you going to say? Nevertheless, or we are able? What are you going to say? I mean, it's my job to preach. It's your job to believe. But here's what happens when you have faith. And others around you have unbelief. And you're going to experience this forever. As long as you're on the planet. Faith is obnoxious and annoying to those that don't have it. And they will try. And I'm not saying they're bad people. They're just people. But when you, we're all broken. We live in a broken world. And our eyes don't deceive us. They tell us the truth about our circumstances. But there's another truth. There's another reality. The promises of God. The power of God. Miracles. When do you need a miracle? It's not just a rhetorical question. When do you need a miracle? When you can't do it yourself. Miracles are to change the natural order of things. And what, what, I, what, what happens to us as human beings is when your situation deteriorates, even when you're praying, your faith decreases to the point where it gets so bad 
that you just stop believing altogether because obviously it's just really gone. I mean, it's obviously going the wrong direction. I want to say that as it gets worse, your faith should be getting bigger. Because you need more faith for the giant, for the mountain. Circumstances should not intimidate our faith. They should ignite our faith. The bigger, the worse it gets, the more faith we need. And so I dig in and get more faith. And that's just a bigger mountain that's going to get removed because God greater glory. I mean, you don't stop believing for a miracle until either the miracle happens or I would say it's beyond miracle territory, except that's what they thought when their brother Lazarus died, Mary and Martha's brother died. And then Jesus said, oh, this isn't beyond my reach and rose him from the dead. When do you need a miracle? When it's impossible. If it's possible, you don't need a miracle. So don't ever stop believing for miracles. It's so funny the way we see things on earth. From God's perspective, there is not a disease or a blockage or a stronghold or a financial situation or anything on a personal global scale. It's all tiny. I mean, tiny to him. To us, it's like, oh my gosh, it's so big. You remember, you remember the prophet um, Elijah, I think it was, whoever, and his uh, servant Gehazi, I think it was, if I get the right people. Anyway, the story's good. So you got the prophet, you got his servant, and the enemy surrounded him. There's chariots around the, 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 around the mountain surrounding because they're going to come and they're going to take him because they hate him because he prophesies and, and Israel keeps you know, defeating the enemy. So the enemy comes, surrounds his house. We're talking about actual chariots with actual soldiers surrounding them. And it's just him and his servant. And his servant says, ah, he screams out. <laughs> right? Because he sees with his natural eyes, we're doomed. And the, you remember, anybody know that story? What did the prophet say? Well, before he said that, he said, there's more of us than there are of them. Okay. That's a person of faith that sounds crazy, right? Ridiculous. But he was aware of a, another reality that is superior to the natural reality that he was seeing with his own eyes. And he says to God, it's such a great story. He says, God opened the eyes of my servant. What eyes? Your spiritual eyes. And all of a sudden he sees into the actual spirit realm. It's called the gift of discerning of spirits where you actually see behind the veil. And what he saw were chariots of fire all around the other chariots. God's chariots had surrounded the chariots. But you see, the man of faith knew that God was there. So he wasn't... What about David? Teenage boy. Teenager. Goes up to give his brother some, some cheese and bread in the battle. And I mean, this is a gnarly scene. All these soldiers, I mean, their shields and their spears and their helmets. I mean, this is thousands and thousands and thousands of soldiers. And they're all standing there and there's this huge giant, nine feet tall. I mean, down in the valley, 
He's threatening, he's mocking God's people, mocking God, calling him names, and he's challenging him to a fight. And everybody's full of fear, doubt, and unbelief. It will paralyze you. Fear, doubt, and unbelief paralyzes you, doesn't it? And here's this teenage boy with no armor whatsoever. He's got a staff. He's got, he's got some stones, slingshot. And he walks up and says, what's going on? Well, he tells him the story. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Now, for those of you who don't understand why I would bring up circumcision in a church service. <laughs> the sign of being in relationship with God in the Old Testament was God's people were circumcised. And so he says... Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? I don't care if he's 25 feet tall. I don't care who he is, where he comes from, what he's got. He doesn't have a relationship with God, and I do. And he goes down there with his, with his slingshot, and he knocks him in the head with a rock, and the giant dies, and Israel wins that battle. You can either come at your giants with faith or with fear. Which one are you going to choose? Well, what happens when people of faith stand up is the people with fear, doubt, and unbelief just try to literally suffocate you with evidence that you're ridiculous. Verse 31, but, everybody say but, (laughs) this is a bad but, but the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report. Everybody say bad report. A bad report of the land which they had spied out saying the land through which we have gone as spies. And now watch their unbelief and their description of the land even gets bigger because they got to overcome this faith filled person that's trying to tell them that we can do it. Look at the description now. Spies the land devours its inhabitants and all the people who we saw in in it are men of great stature. All the men are great stature. Therefore, we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. That last sentence right there is the kicker. We were like grasshoppers in their sight, on our sight. We were like grasshoppers in our sight, therefore we were in their sight. You remember I started this? I said, the way you see yourself, who you think you are, is the way that you're going to behave. Well, what happens is, as you come off the way you see yourself, others, therefore, will come to know you the way you're coming off. And so they will see you the way you see you. Right? You ever done that, known that before? You know, one time I was in high school and I went out, I went out with one of the prettiest girls in the whole school. I was like, dang. She said, yes. I mean, she was cute. I pick her up. We're going through the drive-thru because, you know, come on, it's high school. And by the time we got to the drive-thru, this gorgeous girl was so unpleasant (laughs) 
that we went through the drive-thru and I took her home. We drove in her driveway and she said, what are you doing? I said, I'm out, man. I said, no, I don't want, this isn't going to work for me. And one of the reasons why, Josh, she told me she had to be home at nine because she had another date. I said, well, I just thought you might want to come home early and get ready. I have none of that nonsense. Kidding me? What's that, Gary? (laughs) And pay me back for that burger. Yeah. We were grasshoppers on our own side. Therefore, we were in their side. And this is what I want to talk to the teenagers in particular. Young people. Um, I'm I'm coming close to the end here, but I really want to to say this to you. I want to take a few more minutes and do this. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? Do you hate yourself? We can say that. I'm saying this to everybody. It's not just for the teenagers, but the young ones are really getting pummeled. And when you're younger, you're, you're, you're discovering your identity, your self-worth, your capability, because you're a little awkward. You're kind of still grown into your body and you're not sure quite what you believe. And it's hard to have courage and confidence. And, and school is brutal, man, because it's just a nasty place. I mean, kids are hard on each other. And so you're trying to have faith. You're, you're trying to believe that you're, you, you, you know, you have worth, you have something to offer. And, and, uh, and however, we're all broken. We're all fallen. We all, you know, have faults. And so this self-criticism is brutal. A little voice, the little committee in our heads that are constantly criticizing ourselves. You know, they, they just never sleep. And so when you look in the mirror, what do you see? There are four mirrors that I've discovered that you can look into to find out who you truly are. The first one is a social media mirror. The social media mirror. It's like the nastiest, most disgusting, devastating crippling mirror you could ever look into it is completely shattered you look into that mirror it's not real that mirror's not real all of us when you post on social media what are you posting you don't you don't post yeah you don't you don't post when you get your, your profile pictures and of you when you woke up in the morning but that's part of you, you ugly thing, right? Yeah, you wake up in the morning. That's not your best. What do you post as your profile picture, right? Well, what about when you? What about your picture of your family? Oh my gosh, I was looking at the pictures on our wall of my family this week. I was walking down the hallway. I was looking at the pictures, and I was like, I said, "Hope, see how beautiful this picture is right here." <clears throat> yeah. And you're going to take our family pictures this coming weekend, right? We've got some new, right. Do you remember what, how our kids were absolute hellions 
Like seconds before this picture was taken. Do you remember this? He goes, oh my God, we almost canceled the photo shoot, man. I mean, they were just, it was like, I'm yelling at him, smile, right? But we don't post the pre-picture. We don't post what was happening before the picture. We only post the perfect picture, perfect friends, perfect vacation, right? Perfect food, right? We don't post, hey, I got served today. My divorce papers. You don't post that. You don't, you don't take a video of your son fumbling the ball and, and losing the football game. You don't post it and say, look at this. My son lost the game for everybody. No, we don't post these things. And so the social media mirror is a disaster. Young people, don't look into that mirror and try to find your worth in that mirror. It, it, it's so bad. They make mountains out of molehills. Right now, it's called hip dips, right? The hip dips. You know, I know all this. I got four teenagers at home. Now you look at the hips and the hips have to be shaped just perfectly. You can't go down and then in and then back out again. That's horrible. Yeah, it's called hip dips. That's the new thing. But listen, what girls go through in particular to reach this perfection that is displayed on social media is putting them in hospitals, self-harm, suicide ideation, even suicide itself. This is not true. Then there's the mirror of others. There's an others mirror. The others mirror, well, begins with your family. You, you, when you're born, you're born into a house of mirrors. Every, every look your parents give to you, your brothers, your sisters, what they say to you, how they treat you, do they honor you, they dishonor you, provide for you, don't provide for you, protect you, don't protect you. <laughs> All of it is telling you your worth. They're not all bad, but they're not all good. Then you go to school, house of mirrors. Then you go to work, house of mirrors. All of them are telling you who you are. That mirror is also a broken mirror. Then you have the self mirror. And this mirror is produced by the other's mirror, the social media's mirror, and you are concluding who you are through this mirror, through those other mirrors. And then you have your self mirror. And we either undercompensate or overcompensate. There's no way you and I as creations can ever just look at ourselves and determine who we are and be accurate. We're either going to think we're less than or we're more than. There's, there's no way that we can actually see ourselves accurately through any mirror that earth offers us. And do you know what these mirrors spell? SOS. The social media mirror, others mirror, and your own mirror only spell SOS. Do you guys know what SOS stands for? Save our souls. And that's what I'm talking about today. These mirrors 
need to be replaced by the only mirror that will enable you to know who you truly are. And that is God's mirror. God's mirror is the only perfect, unbroken mirror for you to see your true worth, value, reflection. Well, what is God's mirror? Well, James says it very clear. He says in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 23 through 25, if you listen to the word, everybody say the word. If you listen to the word, the Bible, then don't live out the message you hear. You become like the person who looks looks into a what? Mirror Mirror of the word. Everybody say mirror of the word. The The Bible isn't just some boring, dusty, irrelevant book. It is God's words to you about you and about him and about his plan for your life. You got to take this book and say, this is my book. This is my father's love letter to me. If it's not in here, I'm not going to believe it. You talk to me. Let me look in here and see if that's what this says. If you listen to the word and don't live it out, the message you hear, you become like a person who looks in the mirror of the word to discover the reflection of his face in the beginning. You perceive how God sees you in the mirror of the word, but then you go out and forget your divine origin. But, everybody say, but. But. It's the biggest but of the day. But those who set their gaze deeply into the perfecting law of liberty are fascinated by and respond to the truth they hear and are strengthened by it. They experience God's blessings and all that they do. Everybody say amen. Amen. Okay, now in closing, I want you to get out this half sheet that I had you get on your way in. This is a mini mirror. When I bought these mirrors, there was a little tiny small mirror that came with it. Just a little extra. This is just a little mirror. This is the big mirror. This is just a little mirror. I took some of these scriptures out of here and I put them on here. When I was in my early 20s and I was insecure and fearful and didn't know who I was, you just either overperform or you're underperform based on who you think you are. I started reading about what God thinks about me and it changed me. I just want to read a couple of these before we close out today. And let me just, and you just see how it feels as you're reading them and letting them go into you. Now, I put headings on them. You might not see the headings up here on the screen for those online. But the first one is, I have been made in the image of God. Man, that right there should just take care of all low self-esteem. I have been made, say that out loud. I have been made in the image of God, not a frog, not a dirt clod. Not an animal. I have been made in the image of Say it again. I have been made in the image of God. Wow. Okay. Let's read this scripture out loud together. 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And you just read it and you read it. Young people, please do this. Get this scripture and read it and read it and read it and memorize it and think about it. Then when you go to school and people say something nasty about you, you say, you're just a fallen creature. Why would, I, why would I care about what you think of me when I've already found out that God made me in his image? Next one, I have been crowned with glory and honor. Let's read this one out loud. Yet you made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You need to say to yourself, I am crowned with glory and honor. That's not what the devil's telling you. But that's what God's telling you. What mirror are you going to look into? Let's read the next one. I will praise you. Come on. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. And my, that my soul knows very well. That last phrase, my soul knows very well. Does your soul know very well? That you are marvelous. This, this is David, the teenage boy that killed Goliath. He got a revelation that God made me. I, I, and when he says marvelous are your works, he's talking about himself. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Don't get your self-worth. From any of these mirrors, don't do it unless they are saying to you what God is saying to you. Then those are your true friends. Those are the people you want to surround yourself with. Now, it's not that it's all going to be wonderful news because, you know, you can be nasty sometimes. You've got some broken parts. Your personality isn't always the best. Your character is flawed and you need to have good friends and family around you to hold you accountable for being a loser sometimes. But that's God's love towards you, building you into the image of his son. But what you can't have around you is people that are breaking you down. That is never the Lord. Yeah. Excellent. Um, good. Come on. You want to share? This is Christian. The cute, cute girl was up here earlier. Uh, Isabel. This is her uh, other half. Not better. Just other. Right? Yeah. And she says, whoop, whoop. Christian. Hey, everyone. Um, it's just a pleasure to be up here and hear John speak. Uh, I definitely did hear God speak to me because. Come on. That story of the kids going through so much. I mean, we all age. I'm just closer to the kids now, uh, just 24, but during high school, I did attempt to take my life a couple of times, and I did indulge in substance, substances abuse, alcoholism, and there was a bunch of lies that I was telling myself, and that the devil was telling me as well, and I chose to believe because I didn't have the confidence, but in reality, I just didn't tie into God. I didn't tie into a community that was filled of God. And once you do that, the doors open. And the way that you really want to talk to someone is 
very important because yeah. there's talking at someone and then there's talking with someone. If you feel like you don't have that communication with your loved ones or that dialogue that you want to have, keep pers- keep talking to them because I didn't get that. I went through the world just empty, broken. I saw the mirrors that John was just holding up because I try to be like the top athlete. I try to be the top academic student, but I knew that I was lying to myself. And the more and more that I chose to listen to God and the people that held me accountable, the people that were there for me in my corner, the more I realized that God is there all the time, you just have to talk to him. You just have to come to him, and you just have to be vulnerable. Men, it is hard to be vulnerable. I know it is, but it is important to be vulnerable because the kids need to see that. Growing up, I didn't see my dad cry. I didn't see my mom cry, but it is important to see people cry because it releases this feeling it releases everything it releases stress it makes people realize that we are human that yeah. we're not invincible right and the more and more you become vulnerable the more and more you realize that you're not alone right on you do have to do the work yourself but you're not alone amen and the more and more that you you just put your guard down you'll be able to walk this earth free and push God's kingdom further because he is in all of us. There's not anyone here that doesn't have God in them. And if you feel like you don't, talk to someone. Ask them how they're doing because I'm pretty sure we go through the world and someone is like, oh, I'm fine. Who's really just fine? <laughs> <laughs> Who's okay? Who's good? We need to be fantastic. We need to be terrific. We need to be excited because God is exciting. God is terrific. He's fantastic. Amen. And the more and more you just care for everyone, care for people other than yourself, the more you'll care for yourself. Amen. Boom. So, in closing with that great word, thank you for your vulnerability. Um. This great scripture out of the book of Ephesians. We're going down to the bottom, Chris, last scripture. Ephesians 4.29 is really big. Don't use foul, abusive language. That means language, obviously, it means dirty words. But it also talks about that this word in the Greek literally means that words that break down. Don't use foul, abusive words that break people down. Let everything, everybody say everything, you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. I want to encourage young people in here. Memorize every scripture on this page. I'm going to ask everybody to do it. Memorize the Word of God. When I was in my early 20s, I memorized books of the Bible. I, I, would, I, would, I would go to Bible school in the morning, 
And then uh, I would go to the gym. Then I would go home. I worked at night. I would go home the whole afternoon. I would sit there with my Bible in a room that had no furniture in it. It was just a spare room. And I just sat there with my Bible and I just memorized scriptures, chapters. I memorized books. And it wasn't because I was trying to be something special. I was trying to pour the word of God into my spirit and my soul, transforming my mind. Then when I'd hear something, I knew whether it was God or not. Look into God's mirror for you. It'll save your soul. Just close your eyes. Let's go to the Lord here. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit this question. Just ask the Holy Spirit. Say, we're going to we're going to address the Father together because we're His children. But the Holy Spirit's going to illuminate what the Lord will say to you in your mind and in your heart. Just say, God, what do you think of me? And just get quiet and listen to what he may say to you. ask him this say God what lies have I been believing about myself feel like the Lord showed you something, spoke to you. It could be a word. It could be an impression. It could be scripture. All right. When you ask the question, God, what do you, what do you truly think of me? Somebody just be out, just out loud. Say, what, what do you feel like you heard him say to you? Warrior. <laughs> really? Warrior, man. Do you know what that reminds me of? Gideon in the Bible is a story of a, a young guy hiding in the basement from the enemy, scared to death. And an angel appears and says, oh, you mighty man of God. He called him what God knew him to be that he didn't even believe himself. And he ended up leading, being the captain of the army and, and led Israel uh, out of bondage. 
warrior. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? Yeah, I, come, uh, don't head, don't half step. When you look in the mirror now that you've heard from God, what do you see? Warrior. Ah, yeah. Somebody else, huh? Radiant. Somebody else. I value you. Somebody else. I love you. Somebody else. He told you that, that you are gentle. That's interesting. You see, when God speaks to you, He's undoing lies that you've been believing with His truth. So, whatever He says to you, He says, because you need to hear that part of the truth because you've been believing something that's trying to sabotage that truth. So, your gentle means that somehow, somebody, somewhere along the line, has told you something about yourself that would cause you to believe that gentleness is interpreted as something else or it's, it's, it's to, it's, it's, it doesn't have any value to it. And yet for him to say you're gentle, that's, that's, that's part of God's nature. Somebody else, what did God say to you? He said, what do you think of me? I see all your weakness, but it doesn't matter to me because I see that your heart is for me. Oh, man. I take it one step further. I know we're out of time, but uh, we got time for this. What lies were you believing? Somebody just quickly, come on. Just this quickly. That you're not doing enough. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The devil just keeps using that one over and over because it works so well. You're not doing enough. Yeah, you, you memorize all these scriptures. How come you didn't memorize the whole, whole Bible, Ella Marie? What a loser. <laughs> Somebody else. Huh? Ugly. Huh. One of the most beautiful, radiant girls sitting right here in front of us. And she was believing she's ugly. That certainly came from hell. Somebody else. Yes. That you won't be healed. That does not sound like Jesus. All right. Why don't we just stand and just get up into his presence? This has just been a little exercise in identifying truths and lies who you and others say you are and who God says you are. And we are going to now, as a family of God, and those of you online with us, begin looking into the God mirror and see who you truly are. You unravel me with the melody surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone 
child of God I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God We sing on this list is therefore if anyone's in Christ he's a new creation everybody say new creation the old is gone the new has come if you've never given your life to Jesus before you need to do that giving your life to Christ literally is a new birth it's a new beginning it's a new start it's a supernatural new start not like a New Year's Eve New Year's Day new start It's actually a start that's supernaturally new because God forgives you of all your sins and breathes his Holy Spirit into you and you become a child of God. If you've never done that before, I'm going to just be standing up here. And if you would come up here after the service, 
I want to pray with you so you can give your life to Jesus and he will give you a brand new start. God bless you guys. God bless you, family. Love you. Great to be back. Amen.